I'm Dan Bellavia. I'm the landscape manager at the George Eastman Museum. So how long have you been working here? How did you get this position? I was very fortunate. I was going to school in an FLCC uh, for their horticulture program, and my advisor was the original head gardener here, uh, Bernard Tkachik. And she suggested I check out the intern program at that point. I came in and I uh, applied for it, was accepted. So I spent the first year here for seasonal for about 500 hours and worked out real well, clicked very well with the, the head gardener at that point, Andy Joss. The following year, the assistant gardener was quitting, and I said, I'll take the job, and was hired immediately. Uh, from then on, it rolled. I was head gardener within two years, out of medical reasons, because the old head gardener had to get a knee replacement and didn't want to work year-round. And at the time, the assistant gardener was a seasonal position, so I was only working seven months a year. Difficult to do with a family of five, but I figured a way to get, it, get around it and kept coming back for that second year and fell into this and it's expanded completely ever since. I now am in charge of the whole gardens. Everything, grants, budgeting, there's nothing I don't cover here now, including pulling the weeds. So. <laughs> Which is very important oh, given yes. the size. Oh yes, extremely important. <laughs> so did you always have an interest in working in somewhere like a historic home or a museum landscape? Well, I was always into gardening. I got lucky in 10th grade they had at my high school a horticulture program and I got into that as a science class and really liked it. And when I got out of school, I uh, decided to enroll into college and I went into plant genetics. Realized after three years in studying that I was going to have to have a doctorate's degree to go anywhere in the program and said, okay, I'm going to stop, figure out where I want to go from here. Uh, at that point, my wife started having children and going to school at that point was out of the question. So I went to work did things I did, and then about 40 years old, I realized I didn't, wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I always had my own gardens, and I always did gardening and landscaping for people, but I realized this wasn't me. And so I went back to school, got back into what I really love to do. I love to be outside. I love to be working with plants. Um, and I, this job has enabled me to work with a lot of different people, a lot of volunteers, different backgrounds, and push more of the educational side of what I know and trying to encourage people to learn how to garden, learn how to take care of properties. And from there, I've learned about the institutional part of it and the history, and absolutely enjoy that. Uh, we do an awful lot of history through my department, going through the photos, um, figuring out what was actually planted back in 1903 and 1904 when he moved in, as to how it changed throughout the years. And I've learned a lot about how what we perceived went on in the gardens really didn't go on in the gardens. Uh, Eastman was very particular about his gardens. If he didn't like it, it got pulled out. So we have plans, we have a lot of things that tell us about the gardens. But we have found through photographs and through a lot more detailed information that he didn't actually follow these plans. Through the restorations, things like that that have gone on in the property, we've, we've tried to best mimic a specific time period, but we know for a fact it never actually was this way. So it's nice to try and figure out and interpret what he did and try to bring the gardens back to as close as we can. I had thought that all the records that we had were, there are a lot of misconceptions that people have about the landscape that, you know, when George Eastman died, we just kind of maintained it from 1932 onwards and that there hasn't been all this turnover. What do you think are some of the misconceptions that people have about the historic landscape and what you're doing? Well, for a fact we know, when Eastman died, he willed the house to the U of R. In 35, the first president of the U of R moved in 
and they found that they did not have the money to take care of the landscape. At that point, between 1935 and 1937, they leveled every garden. They removed all the plants, they removed the rocks from the rock garden, they buried the, the lily pond in the terrace garden, and they leveled the terrace garden and replaced everything with grass, removed all the brick walkways, everything. So they completely transformed the landscape from what Eastman had when they took it over. Then we lose a little bit of track between there and when it was brought as a museum in the 1940s. Um, I do have photographic evidence of what happened in the early 40s as to things were changing and then at that point as a new museum there, it, there really wasn't a push to keep track of a lot of the things that went on. So we've got a blank period from basically 1940 to 1978 that we really aren't sure what was done. We have a lot of photographic evidence of what was going on in the 50s and the 60s, so we know how things were transformed slowly but surely around here. You know, at one point, his house was here. They brought his house from Waterville to here. It's now at the Genesee Country Museum. So I have pictures showing the house in the background of the terrace garden where now our uh, library is. So I, I can see where things have changed and I can see where they had, had trees where they no longer are and I can see where we have trees that are original to the property. And I have two plans from 1903 and 1921 that were drawn up for the gardens. But we can find no evidence that any of it was ever followed. Even, hmm. the, even the photographic evidence we look at says, these plants should be in this spot. You look at the photograph and go, those aren't those plants that are on this list. So we really don't know. The restoration's based on an interpretation of what may have been planted in certain mm -hmm. spots. And we did not go by the letter as to what Eastman would have had. I know he was extremely picky about what happened. He put a plant in, if he didn't like the way it was, out it came and he replaced it with something new. Uh, the roses that he had in the terrace garden, he would instruct his gardeners every year to go out and count the buds. And if there was less than 13 flower buds on that rose, it was pulled out and replaced with a new one. And every year he kept track of how many flowers. How many buds did he get? How many, you know, and the, it was a working farm, so half of this property was vegetables. He kept track of every bushel of corn, all the peas, all the lettuce, whatever he grew. He, we have written records of how much he did. He kept track of how much milk he got from his cows every day. So we have really good written records about those things, but not definitive answers on what was necessarily in his flower beds, mm -hmm. which is what we rebuilt. So it's a, wow. it's a tough undertaking to figure out how, you know, how do we replace it to a point where he had it and still keep to the fashion of how he wanted it, but we can't replace it completely because we know his was an ever-changing type of garden. Mm -hmm. And when we did the restoration, we, they put it in with the idea of this is how it's going to be from now on. So we aren't really going back to the real nature of how Eastman had it. We would be changing things all the time, which to me is not a bad idea. I think it's a great idea to keep bringing in new plants and seeing what works best. And that's the kind of thing he would have done. He would have looked at it and said, this is not working. Let's fix it. And right now I'm in the process of doing that for the whole property. So, It is one of the things that you always see is you always see people here who are just helping out, weeding, doing tasks around. How would somebody get involved if they are interested in volunteering? Really good question. Um, we have a variety of ways that they can get on. We have online, they can fill out an application and just mark that they want garden and they will be in touch within a week. I don't let things fly too long. They can stop at security or admissions, ask them for an application. They can go to either admissions or security and get my card 
and give me a call, send me an email. They can walk the property and look for our buckets and look for our, our carts. Um, I've actually had people walk through uh, on a Thursday evening when I run a crew. And someone came up to us and said, well, what are you doing? And we said, they said, we're volunteering. This is my volunteers talking to them. He said, oh, it looks for, like fun. Can I do it? We got them tools. We got them buckets. I said, yeah, absolutely. Help yourself. And that's a nice way of getting people to come in here. I talk to as many people as I can as they come through. My volunteers talk to them. My volunteers really are passionate about helping this gardens. They love what they do. It's a great social situation for them. They get to get out of their house and talk to people, but they also like gardening. A lot of my gardeners are people that had houses, had nice gardens at their house, but now they're downsized to a condominium or an apartment. They no longer have a garden. This gives them the opportunity to come here. I, myself, accept everybody. Black thumb, green thumb. Your thumb color doesn't matter to me. I'll teach you what you need to do. It is a historic garden, so I know people are intimidated about working here. My number one rule is you can't mess up because if you pull the wrong plant while you're weeding, I'll notice. We'll either fight it in the garden, or we'll fight it in a bucket, or we'll fight it in the cart, and we'll replant it, or I pull a new one out of my nursery and I replace it. So I really try to make sure that if you want to become a gardener, you're at home and you're very comfortable at it. Um, my rule number two is you're gonna come here and have fun. If it becomes a chore, it's no fun to volunteer. Mm -hmm. So we do, we have a lot of fun. If you ever walk through when my volunteers are here, you'll hear them laughing and talking and having fun while they're working. We take a break in the morning and when we go into the break room to have our cup of coffee, it gets pretty crazy in there. There's a lot of laughing and a lot of talking and people talking louder and louder to try and talk over each other and you know, exchanging stories about what's gone on in their gardens or what's going on in their families. So you really get connected with them. But I have a lot of neighborhood people that come through and I have an open policy about that. If you have a problem with a plant, if you have a question about a plant, send me an email, send me a phone call, Send me a picture. You got a problem with a disease, you got a problem with a bug, send it to me. I'm more than happy to take a look at it and talk to you about what you can do to fix the problem or what is it that you're having a problem with or what is this plant I can identify those. And I really push that because I'm really big on getting more and more people to understand how to do their gardens. Now I have questions about my own shrubs at our house. We inherited a garden mm -hmm. and lots of shrubs we have no experience with them. So I'll, after this, I'll, I'll ask lots of questions about shrubs. No problem. <laughs> Let's get to some kind of rapid fire, short, fun questions. You got it. What's the weirdest thing that you've seen happening in the gardens? Uh, are you asking about plants or people? <laughs> Either one. The weirdest thing is probably uh, watching how some things react to how we prune them. Uh, I happen to love wisteria, and I, I, it's my passion on this property. And I've seen wisteria come back from absolutely devastating it within two years to become this huge vine again. I've watched it crush wood. I've watched it turn balustrade posts. This is a concrete post on one of our walls where it's wrapped around it and actually been able to twist it. Um, that's probably the weirdest thing, but to me makes sense. Uh, the science in me says it should. Um, I think humans overall misjudge plants and what their power or their ability are. Um, I think we're doomed and they win. <laughs> I know it would be hard to pick, but do you have a favorite flower? Yeah, I have a favorite plant, but most people will think it's weird. Um, it's called a poke. It's a weed, but it is an absolutely gorgeous 
weed. It's, it's grows to four to six feet tall. In the fall, the stalks all turn purple. The seed pod that it comes out with uh, is a, it almost looks like little flying saucers and then turns into a bright berry. It's also called an Indian ink plant um, that the Indians used to use actually as ink. And if you're old enough, you'll remember a song called uh, Poke Salad Annie, which is that you can eat this, this plant in early, early spring. You eat it any later, get you sick. And you used to be able to buy cans of it. But it's, to me, it's one of the prettiest plants that are on there. But it is an invasive weed. If we did a talent show at the museum, what would you do? Wow. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You don't want to hear me sing. My kids say I sing fine, but you don't want to hear me sing. What would I do? Um, probably would be a pruning. Probably, like, that's probably the best thing that I'm at, especially when it comes to pruning things like the wisteria and certain shrubs and being able to prune them into the shape they should be in. Hmm. It would probably be the closest I could say. Color arranging, flower arranging is really easy. It is, you know, if you, in your mind's eye, know the shape of the flower or the shape of the leaf. When, you, when it comes to planting a garden, you think about texture, you think about color. You don't want all the same looking leaf. You don't want everything to bloom in June. So you want to plant a garden differently. So I wouldn't consider that a talent to me. That's almost something just that I know. But it's probably that. I would have to say the pruning. All right. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. I don't know how exciting it would be to watch, <laughs> but I can... Maybe if you like were tap dancing while you were pruning. You don't but... want to see me dance. <laughs> how do you feel about garbage plates? Um, I would eat them to my heart's content. Um, unfortunately, my heart's content would kill me. So uh, I actually do like them a lot. I don't eat them that often. Uh, I try to eat right. I have someone who makes sure I eat right, so uh, I don't get to have them as often as I'd like, but I do like them. And I like the history behind why there is a garbage plate. To me, that's the more important thing. My dad grew up in that time. He remembers when they came out and when people didn't have food, and this was an easy way for uh, Nick to get food out to everybody and use up some of the leftovers. so. So when you're not at the museum, Where's one of your favorite places to go in the area? My favorite place is my screen porch at home, believe it or not. Um, I don't, I, I'm not that I'm a homebody. Uh, I live a ways away. I live about an hour away. So um, I do spend a lot of time in the city. I grew up in Greece. There are a lot of different places I love to go. Um, my favorite spot to go probably would be, and it's only for a specific reason, would be Stony Brook, the um, park. I spend a week there every year with my kids. We go camping, my kids, my grandkids. And to me, that makes it special. Um, it's a beautiful park. Um, Any time I can be outside, I'm happy. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And it was nice getting to see kind of a different side of you and that plants are really your passion, whether you're here or off site.